Good morning. So uh, this week is Thanksgiving, and I uh, have to tell you as an Englishman that now lives in America, I do love that particular tradition, and that video gives you a little clue as to why, because I just think it's fantastic, well done America, that you have a meal that consists of turkey, mashed potatoes, and then like dessert, basically, on the same plate. I mean, that jello there, we have one, uh, Casey's family, which is like uh, a strawberry jello and pretzel base and cream cheese. I mean, it's basically cream, it's cheesecake. That's what it is on the plate next to the turkey. In fact, we even have at the Brewers on Thanksgiving um, surprise salad. Now, I say that with slight tongue-in-cheek because there's nothing salad about it whatsoever. It's basically um, cut-up fruit in a kind of yogurty, creamy um, mixture. And the surprise is that there's little bits of candy bar in there as well. And it's awesome. I'm like, turkey, mashed potatoes, Snickers. Awesome. Those three should all be together on the same plate. One year, uh, one of Casey's relatives was in charge of making the surprise salad. And for some obscure reason, she chose to go heavy on the fruit and light on the candy. So that year, the surprise was, where's the Snickers? Come on. We want Milky Way in our surprise salad. So anyone here of surprise salad or anything like that? Or is that just my wife's family? You are missing out. If you're free Thursday, please join us. Uh, I'm sure there'll be enough surprise salad for everyone. Um, but I want to do a little Thanksgiving survey uh, amongst our crowd this morning, find out who I've got in the room. So this Thursday, I think some of you will be eating turkey, um, some maybe eating ham, some maybe eating turkey and ham. So let's find out who I have here this morning. So if you had to choose, you could only have turkey or ham. Hands up who my turkey people are. Hands up would say, yep, turkey's where I'd be at. All right, big lot of hands, hands down. Hands up for ham. All right, like one, a small section over there, but I'm afraid turkey was the clear winner of that one. Okay, how about this? Stuffing or mashed potatoes? You can only have one. You can't have both. Stuffing or mashed potatoes? So, hands up for stuffing. All right, there's actually quite a, a few more than in our first service. How about mashed potatoes? All right, yeah, I'm afraid mashed potatoes were the clear winner there of that, that poll. Number three here, okay, only one, cranberry sauce or pumpkin pie, okay? Is that too, too easy? Hands up for cranberry sauce. Oh, my goodness, there's too many hands for my liking. Hands down, hands up for pumpkin pie. All right, thank you, thank you. I, I, I'm sorry, I've got to be honest, but cranberry anything is a, is a problem for me. So, uh, so yeah, I would choose pumpkin pie over cranberry anything. So, um, but isn't it interesting how just um, in those three food categories, we had such diversity around the room. Some are like turkey, ham, mashed potatoes. And it's amazing because it just goes to show that we're all different. Every one of us is different. We all have things that make us happy. But you know what? Uh, we all have this one thing in common, and that is that we all want to be happy. I mean, deep down in every single one of us here this morning and, and out in the world outside, everyone just wants to be happy. For some people, it's turkey that makes them happy. For others, it's um, pumpkin pie. For some, it's cranberries, which I think is rather strange. But we're all different, aren't we? Some people's happiness is, is sat in a quiet room with a cup of coffee and a book in front of the fire. For others, it might be in a, a room full of people and lots of conversation and lots of things going on. Maybe for you, happiness is laying on a beach in front of an ocean, nothing around, just sun shining all day. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're like, no way, that'd be so boring. Happiness for me is, is wrapping up warm and skiing down a mountain or snowboarding down a, down a mountain. That's happiness. 
The truth is we're all different and, and we all find happiness in different places. But the one thing we all have in common is that desire to be happy. Over the last few weeks here at Connect, we've been doing a series talking about generosity. We actually, the series was called The Ladder, and we had this ladder up on stage. If you're visiting here this morning, we had this ladder, and we were talking about how, for many of us, that ladder has maybe been in the wrong place, because there's been a ladder we've tried to climb to get more. You know, and you wouldn't be to blame for that, because I think our culture kind of lends itself to that, that we live in this society where it's more, more, get more, more, more. And, and what would it look like if we moved our ladder to a position of generosity instead, and, and instead we're looking to climb to be able to give more? to impact more people's lives, to make a difference in the world in which we live. And one of the conclusions we came to through this series, and actually one of the biggest pieces of feedback I've heard from people over the last few weeks is, what I've found is, as, as I've given, it's, it's really helped us feel more blessed as a family. I've actually found giving, I've, I've found happiness in living a life of generosity. It kind of sounds countercultural, but a lot of people have been telling me that the more I give, the, the happier I feel, the, the, the more generous I am, the better it is for me and my family. Well, I think there's another really important attitude that can bring us happiness. And I think that attitude is something that's going to crop up this week during what I once said, or what I earlier said, is one of my favorite holidays. That's Thanksgiving. I like this tradition. I like Thanksgiving because it started in the early 1600s. It was started by the pilgrims and the Puritans. It was in a wonderful time when the, the British were still liked. I like that time of American history. You know, we were still the good guys. I like Thanksgiving a lot more than I like Independence Day. Um, I'll let you kind of figure out why. But, um, but Thanksgiving, it was that, that celebration, that time to come together as a brand new nation and give thanks. You know, Thanksgiving, the whole idea of it was actually um, traced back to, to the, the religious roots of these people. It was God that they were thanking. God they were thanking for this new land and for providing, for helping them to, to farm the land and to build this new home. In fact, 100 years later, George Washington, the president at the time, he actually proclaimed it as a, a national holiday. On November 26, 1789, he proclaimed the very first nationwide thanksgiving. He said he wants it to be a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God. The very roots of this thanksgiving celebration that we're going to be having on Thursday is there was a time where these group of people came together and said, thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. Now, that's where we can trace Thanksgiving back. But that idea of thanking God, that goes back thousands of years. You know, if you read through the Bible, you'll see time and time again, individuals who, who were thanking God for what he'd done in their lives, thanking God for how he'd provided, thanking God just for who he was. Back in the Old Testament, this, this was um, written thousands of years ago. Right in the middle of the Old Testament, there's these set of, of books, they're called the Psalms. They were written by a lot of different people, and, and some of them were written like songs and some like poems. Some of them will be crying out to God saying, why is this happening? I'm, I'm feeling pain right now. Some were written saying, God, thank you. You're amazing. I just want to tell you how incredible you are. Some were written by shepherds sitting on hillsides just looking at creation saying, God, you're amazing. That's what the Psalms consist of. And so much thanksgiving, so much gratitude, so much opportunities to thank throughout the Psalms. Listen to this one, Psalms 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. 
Or this one, Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I wonder how many of us woke up yesterday morning or this morning and and pulled back the blinds and thought, this is the day that the Lord has made. But we'll still rejoice and be glad in it as we shovel our driveways with this snowfall in November. But these guys were like, God, you've made today. This is your day. We want to rejoice and celebrate you. In Psalm 50, it speaks as God speaking to us. He says this, but giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. If you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. You see, these psalms are just full of of these writers singing songs of praise and thanks to God for what he had done in their lives and, and even just for who he was. I think that this idea of of happiness and gratitude, I think they're linked. Just like we talked about generosity, I think gratitude can be tied in with our happiness. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you would say, I agree. I think I'm I'm grateful because I'm, I'm happy. But I think maybe it's the other way around. It's not happiness that makes us grateful. I actually believe that it's gratefulness that can make us happy. Maybe you're looking for more happiness in your life, and and maybe it would come from just looking for more gratitude in your life, being more aware of how thankful we should be for all that we have in our lives. You see, my goal as I speak this morning is to, to draw our attention to this idea that we should have this attitude of gratitude, that we should all aspire, we should all be working hard to say, I want an attitude of gratitude. Now, the reality is I'm, I'm speaking this morning here from, from the context of being a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just kind of checking things out. Maybe uh, you're new to church. I don't know where you come from or where you're at on your journey right now. And maybe you, you wouldn't call yourself a, a follower of Jesus. I still think gratitude is a great part to have in our lives. I mean, let's be honest. I think you've probably worked with people who just um, have that, that, that gratitude in everything about them. Everything they say, everything they do, they just ooze gratitude. And they're just such nice people to be around. And then you meet those people, don't you, who just seem to be ungrateful. Just nothing ever seems to please them. And they're just, you know, they're just not as pleasant to be around, are they? So the reality is that if we were to strive to have this attitude of gratitude in our lives, I think it can change who we are as individuals. It can change the way we live our lives. It can help us to live more fulfilling, happier lives. But I want to talk a little bit here this morning, specifically to those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus. Those of us who would say, I I believe that Jesus is the Lord of my life. I'm striving to follow him. How can I show this attitude of gratitude in my life? Because I believe that if you have a relationship with Jesus, we have so much to be thankful for. Jesus did so much for us. And I think there's just, just in that relationship we have with him, we have so much to be thankful for. Jesus made a huge difference while he was here on earth. You can read about his life as told by four different individuals, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four guys, they all have a different account of the life of Jesus. Some of them overlap, some of them are unique, but they all tell stories of the wonderful things that Jesus did. They tell us about the things he taught They tell us about the miracles that he performed and the amazing things that took place. They tell us about the people that he healed. You know, as you read about Jesus, he healed the sick. He even raised the dead. So many amazing things. You know, one of the greatest things that Jesus was known for was the fact that he he healed lepers. You know, in that culture, lepers, that was an awful disease. 
It was something that if you, it was very infectious, and, and if you were to be struck with leprosy, then you were cast out from that community. You would live separated from everyone else. It brought with it shame and, and despair and pain and suffering. And yet we read in the scriptures that Jesus cared for lepers. He spent time with them. He conversed with them. He touched them. He was with them. You see, a lot of people were afraid of these lepers and afraid of the um, disease. But Jesus' compassion was greater than fear. He wasn't afraid to be among them, to talk with them, even to heal them. I've got to be honest, as I was preparing for this message this morning, because I, was just, I want to talk about a situation when he healed some lepers. As I was preparing for this this week and all that's going on in the world and the news, I got to think about this because I think as followers of Jesus, we need to be careful. We need to be careful to never let fear be greater than compassion. Because we can do that. We can be very fearful. But actually, Jesus calls us as his followers to be compassionate, to reach the needy and the broken and the hurting and the sick. He modeled that to us and he calls us to do it. And he modeled it with his um, communicating and his, his being in the presence of these lepers. So let's read about this story right now as told by Luke in Luke chapter 17 verses 11 to 19. It says, as Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance. They were crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Jesus healed them. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. You know, it's interesting, as I was studying this passage, getting ready to talk about it this morning, I had this thought, you know, in that moment, Jesus could have praised the one who returned. He could have said, hey, good for you. You returned. You're awesome. You're a good example. But instead, he laments the idea. He says, where are the other nine? The very first thing he says is, weren't there 10 of you? Where are the others? You see, it didn't change the outcome of the miracle. All 10 were still healed. All 10 got to go back to their families and friends because all 10 stood before the priests and the priests declared them clean. You see, in this culture, when you were um, struck with a disease like leprosy, the priests would have to say, would have to rule on it and say, you cannot be amongst this community anymore. You have to be separated. And even if you got better, even if you got cleaned up, you still couldn't join the community until the priests had declared you clean. So all 10 of them went back to the priests. All 10 were declared clean. All 10 get to live their lives, but only one, only one came back to Jesus and thanked him. You see, I think he had an attitude of gratitude. So where did that come from? How did he have that and nine others in exactly the same boat as him not have it? I don't know, maybe his parents raised him better. Maybe he'd been the only one growing up that his mum made him write thank you notes after his birthday to every uncle and every aunt for every gift that he got. You see, for um, Casey and I, we try and instill gratitude into our kids. That's a really important um, value in the, the Jane family. There's a lot of things we try and instill into our kids, and, and gratitude's one of them. 
I can actually remember a specific time with, with my kids where we went through this phase where we would start taking them to school or to like five points they'd want to go or whatever, and we, we'd drop them off, and they'd just get out of the car, close the door, and off they, would go, off they go. So one time, one of them, I was, I was dropping them off, and they were actually, I was like, hey, hey, what do you say? Like, Thank you. Good. Because listen, we've got a new rule now. Anytime we take you somewhere in the car, if you don't say thank you when you get out, you're walking home. I'm not coming back to get you. They're like, <laughs> no, I'm serious. So ever since that moment, they've been really good. Like anytime we go anywhere, as soon as they get out of the car, thanks, Dad, thanks, Mom. Hopefully if they've been in any of your cars, thank you, Mr., thank you, Mrs. <laughs> and we've kind of instilled that gratitude into them. And I love that, and I love that it's there, but what I'm worried about is it's kind of a robotic response. You know, it's been so ingrained into them. It's like Pavlov's dogs, you know, that anytime they ever exit any vehicle, they just find themselves saying thank you. I don't want it just to be a vehicle thing. I want this to be something that's a lifestyle, that my kids would grow up having this, this gratitude with everyone they see and everyone they meet. And they are, they're brilliant. They really are doing very well in that. And I've got to be honest, I'm going to brag on one of them now because I think one of them excels at this a little bit more than the others, and that's Emma. She's my eight-year-old, and she just is very grateful. Man, if she prays before a meal, you, I guarantee you, there's going to be a lot of thanks said during that prayer. We pray for just about everything during that prayer before meals. She always says thank you. She'll come up spontaneously and say, hey, I just want to tell you I love you. I just want to say thanks for doing this for me. Thanks, Mom, so much for buying me this really pretty scarf, whatever it may be. Last month was a, um, a thing they do here called a Pastor's Appreciation Month. And um, across the country, people celebrate, and they, they say to give cards and gifts. And, and you as a church, I want to say thank you because leaders here at the church, they um, did something really nice for me and the other pastors here on staff. They got us a card and um, gave us a gift on behalf of all of you, and that was super nice. And many of you sent me emails and cards and uh, notes, things like that, and I, I really appreciate that. But I've got to be honest, for all that I got, this is probably one of my favorites because Emma hadn't heard of Pastors Appreciation Month until the morning that we acknowledged it here and connect. And that day when I got home from church, this was on the table in our kitchen. Uh, she'd written me a card. It says, Happy Pastor Appreciation Week. Um, I'm pretty sure that's appreciation. And uh, when I opened the card inside was this beautiful picture. She said, you have done a great job at specking, uh, which is what I do every Sunday morning. I spec to all of you. Um, she, and there's a picture of me up on the stage. And uh, apparently the only people in the church are her, Will, Ben, and, and Casey. So that's cool. But um, I loved getting that. And I love that in her little heart, she has this, 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 this gratitude. and She wants to express that in so many ways. But I don't think when Jesus was looking at this guy, he was saying, where are your manners? Where are the other guys? Where are their manners? How did their parents raise them? It wasn't so much a please and thank you kind of thing. It was realizing what the one guy had done that none of the others had. You see, the one guy who came back, he didn't just say, hey, thanks very much, appreciate it. Actually, if you read that passage, it says that he came back and he says, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet thanking him for what he had done. He recognized that not only have I been healed, but it was God who healed me. This is amazing. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you so much. That's what Jesus was calling out, not somebody who used their manners, but somebody who recognized where the healing had come from. Somebody who acknowledged that this has come from God and was willing to thank God for what he had done. That's what I want to challenge us followers of Jesus with this morning. Do we do this? 
Or do we just take it for granted all that God's done in our lives? As we go into Thanksgiving this week, I want to give us a couple of challenges. Because I think there are so many ways that we, as followers of Jesus, can be, can be like the man in this story. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. We, we could be writing cards like Emma's every day of all the great things that God has done in our lives. But sometimes we just take it for granted. So let me throw out these two um, ideas to you this morning, these two challenges. The first is around this, this phrase I'm going to use here, and that's that um, uh, sometimes we think more about what we've got than what we've not got. Okay, or sometimes we, we, we need to focus more on what we've got over the what we've not got. Now, Casey told me to explain that that's a very English way of saying that. I think if it, as an American, it would sound a lot different, but go with me here. So what we've got versus what we've not got. Now, here's what I mean by this, okay? When it comes to gratitude, you've got two options. You can be thankful for what you've got, or you can be kind of complaining or frustrating over what you've not got. You can be grateful and say thank you and consider yourself blessed for what we've got. Or you can live in constant frustration over what we've not got. And really, that comes from whether or not you have that attitude of gratitude. That determines which of those two that you're more likely to focus on. Paul was talking to the church in Ephesus. He writes them in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's reminding here the people in the church and us today to, hey, listen, you can focus on what you haven't got. You can always be wishing you had more. Or instead, you could give thanks to God for everything you have got. Who are we this morning? Are we people who are thanking God for what we have, for our health, for our belongings, for our family, for our safety, whatever it may be? Are we thanking God for those? Or are we kind of looking, wishing, man, I wish I had more of this, or I wish we did this, or I wish I lived here, or I wish this was bigger? whatever it may be. There's a guy I got to meet a couple of years ago. His name's Wes Stafford. At the time, he was the director of an organization called Compassion. Compassion is an organization that we've partnered with over the church, with the church over the last couple of years. And they work around the world to help uh, release children from poverty in the name of Jesus. And they do a wonderful job of working in countries like Africa and Asia and South America to work with communities where children are born into such extreme poverty. And they partner those children with families in, in the West, in America and in Europe and in Australia. And those families are able to sponsor those children. Many people here at Connect have, have sponsored a child through compassion. And you really are making a difference in the life of a child if you've done that. And thank you so much. We actually have helped plant a church in a community in Ecuador so that Compassion can go into that area where they've not been before and start up a new program with new children. In fact, those children are now ready to be sponsored and they've released some of those children specifically to us at Connect Church. So if you're interested in finding out what it would be like to sponsor a child through Compassion, we've got those packets with the pictures of the kids, the stories of how old they are and where it is that they live out there by the Connect Point. So stop there afterwards and speak to someone if you'd like to know more about this organization about sponsoring children. But Wes Stafford, who at the time was the director of Compassion, he'd been the director for about 20 years. He was talking at an event I was at. It was a small event. It was a, a room smaller than this. There was only about 20 or 30 of us pastors there. And he was talking about this idea of poverty. And it ties in perfectly with this idea of whether we're to focus on what we've got or what we've not got. 
Because what he was talking about, he was talking about poverty, as he said, you know, you realize, don't you, that poverty exists throughout the world? And we said, yeah. And he goes, you know, how would you define poverty? And we were saying, oh, you know, with people who go without, lack of resources, lack of food, clothing, whatever it may be. He said, yeah, that's, that's good. He said, what would you say is the opposite of poverty? And we were guessing wealth, riches, resources, money. He said, well, let me, let me put it to you this way, he goes, because I don't think that is the opposite of poverty. He said, I've got to travel the world a lot as the director of compassion. And in my travels, he said, I've gone to some of the poorest places in the world. I've been to Africa, South America, parts of Asia, and I've seen extreme poverty. Children who are malnourished, children who don't have the medicine they need to keep them alive that we take for granted. Clothing, resources. He goes, it's, you, but basically, when I'm in those areas, I see poverty, and it's people who don't have enough. That's poverty. But he said, it's interesting, though, because in my um, position as the leader of this international organization, I've also got to sit with some of the wealthiest people in the world. I've been at fundraisers, and I've met leaders of companies and countries. And he says, I've met some, some very wealthy people. And what I've discovered is some of them are also in poverty. He says, do you know why? Because in their lives, they feel like they don't have enough. They're rich beyond their wildest dreams, but they're still seeking out more and more. He said, I've met some people who are kind of middle class and, and still feel like they're in poverty because they want more. They don't have enough. He said, I would suggest that the opposite of poverty isn't wealth. The opposite of poverty is enough. It's coming to that point where you're willing to say, you know, this is enough. I'm okay with where I'm at. I thank God for what I've got. I don't want to focus on what I've not got. Because the opposite of enough is poverty, whether you're rich or poor. And when he shared that, it's stuck with me ever since. And I think to have an attitude of gratitude is to, to be at a point to say, at this point in my life, God, I don't know what the future holds. But right now, God, I want to thank you for what you've given me. I could look up the street and say, well, I wish I had more of this or a bigger this or whatever it may be. But God, I want to choose to thank you right now for what I have got. Thank you for what you've blessed me with. That's the attitude of gratitude that I think God's looking for in all of us. Because when you have that attitude of gratitude, it changes how you live your life. Last week, we sent over 200 shoeboxes to a, a center up in Minnesota to be distributed to, to travel all across the world through an organization called Operation Christmas Child run by Samaritan's Purse. And these shoeboxes will go in the name of Jesus to bring Christmas to children in under-resourced countries around the world. And thanks to you here at Connect, 200 children will be impacted and I'm so super grateful that we are a church that have that attitude of gratitude that we want to give. And we want to give you more opportunities this Christmas to continue to give. Next Sunday, we are kicking off Christmas. When you get here, there'll be some Christmas trees in the foyer. We'll have Christmas music playing. It will officially be Christmas at Connect. We have a series that we're jumping into called Awaken the Wonder. We're going to talk about the wonder of Christmas. And what's going to happen, because I know this has happened the last couple of years at Connect, families are going to come to me and people are going to come to me and say, hey, you know, we love Christmas. We love celebrating Christmas as a family. We love giving gifts to one another. 
But we don't want to get caught up in the trappings of the commercialism in, in spending way too much money on toys that are going to break and, and stuff that just ends up being junk. We want to give gifts to one another, but we want to do something more significant this Christmas. We want to give in a way that will impact maybe a family that aren't going to have a good Christmas. Maybe they're struggling this Christmas. So we've decided over the entire Christmas period from next week right up till Christmas Eve, we're going to give you an opportunity to continue to give back. Because I believe that attitude of gratitude causes us to want to give to others. So there are two things that I want to tell you about, two opportunities that you have to give over Christmas. One is being kind of set up through Connect Kids. They're going to be hearing about this this morning. And I want to tell you as moms and dads so you're aware of what's going on. And then the other is, is through the, the church at large. But the first one's through Connect Kids, and it's called Bite Back. So check out this video to explain what they're doing. There are few things more annoying than being buzzed and bitten by a mosquito. Am I right? Where most of us live, we just get bit, get itchy, and then get over it. But listen, for millions of kids in countries like Uganda, getting bit by a mosquito means a lot more than a little itch. In those areas, mosquitoes carry a tiny parasite that can cause an illness called malaria. Because it's hard to get to a doctor, lots of kids who get a mosquito bite become very sick and some even die. More than 10 million people in Uganda got malaria last year. But here's the good news. Malaria can be prevented. And kids who get malaria can get better. That's why I'm excited to announce that Orange is partnering with Compassion International's Bite Back Project this year. Bite Back stops malaria before it starts by providing special mosquito nets to kids and families in countries like Uganda. Many of these families live in very small homes with lots of ways for mosquitoes to get inside. The mosquitoes are especially bad in the evening when kids are trying to do homework and at night when they're trying to sleep. That's where the mosquito nets come in. When kids work or sleep under a net, they don't have to worry about getting bit. The nets let in plenty of fresh air, but keep out the mosquitoes. In fact, they're treated with a special chemical that kills any mosquitoes that try to get in. So here's the question. What can you do? Every $20 you raise can send a mosquito net to a kid who needs a safe place to sleep. Plus, the $20 will help provide medical treatment for kids who do get malaria. Remember this. If you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping in a room with a mosquito. So if you have kids that are in Connect Kids, they'll have seen that video this morning and they'll come out and they'll be in the car with you today when you're riding home or sitting over lunch with you and they'll have one of two responses. They'll either be like, Mom, Dad, we've got to help um, raise some money this Christmas because we want to help buy some malaria nets to help some kids in Africa. That'll be one response. The second may be, Mom, Dad, we can never leave the house this summer because I found out this morning what mosquitoes can do to you. We cannot ever be bitten again. So I apologize if that's what they did pick up from the video when they see it. Please explain to them that's a different kind of mosquito in a different part of the world and that they are still safe to go out to the lake this summer. But um, hopefully they'll come with that idea of we can make a difference. We can do something to give back this Christmas. And there's another opportunity. We've partnered with an organization here in town called Threads Hope and Love. 
Threads Hope and Love work throughout the year with families in, in all these surrounding communities, Tazewell County and other counties as well, to help under-resourced families. Help families who maybe um, they're in a position where right now maybe dad's out of work or maybe they're living below the poverty line, whatever it may be, and they can go along and they can get help with clothing and toiletries and, and other essentials just to kind of help get through. So they're very familiar with a lot of specific families, and they want to um, invite some of those families at Christmas time just to help them. They've noticed that there's a lot of agencies that do toy drives, so there's a lot of families with small children who, who are very blessed at Christmas time through all sorts of different organizations. But what they're finding is some of the families they're working with have middle schoolers and high schoolers, and sometimes they miss out. Sometimes that age group gets missed just because all the focus kind of is on the little children. So we've told them we're going to help with their Christmas toy drive. Um, they're going to give us a list of ideas, and then they're going to make sure that those toys go to those middle schoolers, to those high schoolers. So next Sunday in the foyer, you're going to see some Christmas trees, and on those trees, there's going to be some paper ornaments. And on each ornament, it's going to be an object that you can take with you. It might be a $5 um, commitment to the bike back to the mosquito nets, or $10 or $20. Maybe it'll be a, a scooter or a doll or a gift card to Best Buy. Whatever it may be, there'll be lots of different ideas where you as a family can say, hey, it, this isn't instead of Christmas for us. We're still going to celebrate, but man, we, wanna, we don't want it to be about us. We want to give back this Christmas. We want to be able to help maybe a family in need or, or help a child who's living across the other side of the world battling something as, as simple as mosquitoes. But as a family, we want to take that so you can take one of those next week. And I'm excited about that because it's all being headed up by a, a new ministry, a new group of people here at Connect called Connect Cares. And you're going to hear more about them throughout the year because they have some great dreams and some great plans of how we can impact our community more, not just at Christmas time, but throughout the year. And I do all that because I know there's so many of you who have that attitude of gratitude. You are grateful to God for what you've got. You're very aware that there are some who don't have uh, maybe what you have, and you want to give back in some way. So that's one way that you can focus your attention of, of gratitude. The second way is this. The second way is to thank God in all circumstances. That can be difficult at times, but to thank God in all circumstances. One of the uh, favorite stories of mine in the Bible is um, when Paul and Silas, they're arrested for talking about Jesus. They're thrown into this prison, in this deep, dark prison cell in the middle of the night. We read that in their chains, they start worshiping God. In the midst of the prison cell, they start thanking and praising God. It actually says in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I don't think they were thanking God that they were in prison. I don't think we're called to thank God for the, the bad things in their life, for death, destruction, disease, um, whatever it may be. But I think what they're challenging us in is that in the midst of those circumstances, they were still able to thank God for who he was. They were still able to praise the name of God. They weren't individuals who said, hey, listen, when things are going good, we'll praise him. But man, if there's trouble, we're not praising him anymore. That's what Justin was talking about this morning when we were singing that song. You know, it's, that, it's having that faith that is willing to say, thank you, God, even in the midst of difficult times. Earlier this week, I got to go to the mayor's prayer breakfast here in Washington, and there were many leaders and individuals from the community at this breakfast. It was a great morning, and we got to hear some scriptures read and some prayers prayed. And there was a, a lady who was a speaker there. She's a Christian author, and she was talking to us all. And she shared this story that has just stuck with me ever since. And 
It was a story of when her and her husband were in this church. It was a smaller church, and uh, there'd been a family in the church, a young family with young children, and mum had got real sick. She'd got cancer, and they tried everything, and in the end, she lost her battle to cancer, and the mother passed away. She said that her and her husband went to the funeral. It was one of the saddest funerals to see this young dad without a wife, to see these young children who'd lost their mum. To see their faith that they knew that she was in the presence of Jesus now and the sickness was gone and that she was uh, completely healthy now in the presence of God. But they in their grief were now without a mom and without a wife. She said she went to church the next morning, on the Sunday morning, and she said, I really didn't expect to see dad at church that morning, but a couple of songs into worship, down the aisle walks dad. Right the way to the front, stands in the second row and just starts to sing and worship God. She said that alone was enough to just really inspire, really challenge me to think, man, what he's just gone through. And here he is still thanking God in the midst of the pain and the suffering. She said, but then they started to sing a song that we've sung here many times at Connect called Blessed Be Your Name. She said, I found myself saying, God, of all the weeks, why are we singing this song? Why does he have to listen to the words of this song today? Because the words of the song say, When I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. The author, a man by the name of Matt Redman, he wrote the song based on um, the book of Job. There's a verse in Job that talks about God giving and taking away. and, And he talks about this in the song. He says, On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. She said, we're all singing this song. We're all aware of what this guy's just been through. She said, I looked across, and in the second row, he started to try and raise his arms because he was worshiping. He was thanking God for who he was. He wanted to still worship God, but he didn't have it in him to raise his arms. She said, we could see that he was crying, that his arms were shaking. She said he dropped to his knees and still tried to raise his arms. She said, and then two guys from the back of the church, two friends of his, they walked up, they stood either side of him. They took an arm each and they raised his arms for him. Three of them stood there with their arms raised, crying, saying, blessed be your name. When she told this story, it was a very emotional moment in the breakfast, just as it is now. But I'm inspired by people who are able to thank God in the good times and thank him in the tough times too. I think that's where the attitude of gratitude really comes through. It's where even in the midst of the the difficult times, we're still able to say, God, I don't understand this. This hurts. This is difficult. But I want to praise you for who you are. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. Thank you that you loved me so much that you allowed your son to be broken. You allowed your son to die in my place. So how do we find that kind of attitude, that kind of attitude that thanks God in all circumstances, good or bad, that thanks God for what we've got and doesn't get frustrated over what we haven't got? Maybe it's when we come on a Sunday and we're singing these songs that we maybe just close our eyes and and really think about what we're singing. Instead of just singing because everyone else is singing, using it as a time to say, no, God, thank you so much for all that you've done. Maybe it's writing a card to someone this week. Maybe there's someone in your life who you're sure they know you're grateful, but you've never actually told them. And you want to write them a card this week to say, hey, I want to tell you how grateful I am for you, how grateful I am for what you did for me that time. 
Maybe it's taken a moment during the day to thank God for something in your life. Driving to work in the morning over a cup of coffee before your day gets started, wherever it is, just pausing and saying, God, thank you. You might be here this morning and say, but for what? Where do I start? You know, there's so much we can say thank you to God for. I came across this little passage written by an author named Max Lucado. Listen to what he says. He says, for the jam on our toast and the milk on our cereal, for the blanket that calms us and the joke that delights us and the warm sun that reminds us of God's love, for the thousands of planes that did not crash today, for the men who didn't cheat on their wives and the wives who didn't turn from their men and the kids who, in spite of unspeakable pressure to dishonor their parents, decided not to do so. Thank you, Lord. There are huge things that we can thank God for. There are small things that we can thank God for. But there is no shortage in our lives of things that we can be thankful for. And when thinking about that, I think that's why Jesus lamented so much the nine that didn't return. Because maybe this attitude of gratitude keeps us focused on the source of life and of love and of every new day. And the more gratitude we can show to him, the more it'll shine out from us, his light and his love for the world around us. So let's not just make Thursday a day where we give thanks and then move on. Let's, as followers of Jesus this morning, say, God, I want to find a reason every single day of the week to thank you on the good days and the bad days to be thankful for all you've done. Let's pray. Father, Thanksgiving is a great time. I know on Thursday I'll be looking and there'll be Facebook posts and Instagram pictures and people will be sharing wonderful little comments of how thankful they are for this, that, and the other. And that's awesome, God. And I'm, It'll be a great day to see all that thankfulness. But Lord, I pray for us as followers of you that we wouldn't keep that just as something that happens one day a year. That we would look for ways every single day to thank you for all that you've done in our lives. God, I really believe that if we can transition to being somebody who lives a, more of a, a lifestyle of gratitude, it will change who we are. Some of us are aspiring to be happy and we're looking for happiness, but actually gratitude can lead us to a lifestyle of happiness. It can be gratitude that can bring us to happiness. So help us, Lord, to be a, a people that would live a, a life of thanksgiving and praise for all that you've done in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.